Romans chapter number 3. We'll just give a couple of things and we'll get into the text here. <clears throat> the key word in this, in this, uh, in Romans chapter number 3 is the word condemnation. The Jews perceived themselves privileged. The Jews perceived themselves that they had self-confidence in a couple of things. They believed that uh, because of their, who they were, they, they believed that they had privilege because of their heritage. They believed that they were whole, they believed that uh, their heritage also brought holiness. And then also, because of all of the things that took place, the privilege that they perceived that they had, they believed they had uh, her- their heritage, their holiness, and then their hypocrisy. See, what had, what had taken place here, and God is conveying this thought to these people in, in Rome, that Jews are not the only ones that can get to heaven. And I'm very thankful that it's not just Jews going to heaven. I'm thankful that everyone can go. As he says in Romans, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. I'm, I'm glad when God wrote that, he put my name in the book of, uh, in the Bible. You say, how did he do that? He said, for whosoever. That's my name. I am glad I'm a whosoever. See, God did not just die for the Jews. God did not just die for the Gentiles. He died for all mankind. And so they may have perceived that they had their heritage and their holiness and their hypocrisy, but ultimately it's all for all men to be saved. And he goes over this in Romans and, and over and over again how important it is that we understand it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what your heritage is like. You need the Lord Jesus Christ. So if you have your Bibles there with you, let's all stand just out of respect to reading of God's word this morning, read about eight verses, and then we'll pray, and you guys can be seated. <clears throat> the Bible says in verse number one, what advantage ha- then hath the Jew, or what profit is there of circumcision? Again, we'll stop here for just a moment. Last week, we spent in chapter two talking about circumcision and what took place there and how they thought that they were, uh, they ought to be thought highly, more highly of because of circumcision. But here we, here we go again. Paul asks the question, What advantage hath the Jew? Verse 2, Much every way, chiefly because that unto them were committed the oracles of God. For what if some did not believe? Shall their, their unbelief make the faith of God without effect? God forbid. Yea, let God be true, but every man a liar, as it is written that thou mightest be justified in thy sayings, and mightest overcome when thou art judged. But if our righteous unrighteousness commend the righteousness of God, or what shall we say? Is God unrighteous who taketh vengeance? I speak as a man. God forbid, for then how shall God judge the world? For if the truth of God hath more abounded through my lie unto the glory, why yet am I also judged as a sinner? Not rather, as we, as we be slanderously reported, and as some affirm that we say, let us do evil that good may come, whose damnation is just. Let's take just a moment, let's pray. God, I love you. I thank you for allowing us again to be in your house this morning. I pray that you've used me, I pray that you use me in spite of me. Lord, I pray that every heart would be tender to the gospel of Jesus Christ. I pray that if there's one in here that does not know that they're on their way to heaven, I pray that they would get that settled. But Lord, also, I pray for the, that there's a Christian in here that just needs to be encouraged. 
And I pray that you would encourage them. We love you. And we thank you in the strong name of Jesus. We pray, amen. And thank you. May be seated. So we're going to jump right into the sermon here. Just a couple thoughts. Uh, just a couple thoughts. Introduction. And then we'll move into the sermon is, is, is there an advantage to being a Jew? Is there an advantage to being a Jew? So Paul says in verse number one, what advantage hath then hath the Jew or what profit there is uh, or is there of circumcision? So the question is, is there a is there profit or is there advantage for being a Jew? There was an advantage to being a Jew. You say there was an advantage of being the Jew. Yes, sir, there was because the Bible says in verse number two, much every way. What does that mean? That means the opportunity that they were given in Romans chapter 1. And let, let me read that verse. In Romans chapter 1 and verse 16, he said, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Why is there an advantage to being a Jew at this time? There is an advantage of being a Jew because the gospel came to the Jew first. Because the opportunity that was given to them, the Bible says in Acts chapter number 1 and verse number 8, Jesus Jesus commissioned the 12 apostles. And the Bible says in Roman, in Acts chapter number 1 and verse number 8, he says, he says, uh, uh, then, but then, my mind is blown. You shall receive power, there we go, after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses both unto me in Jerusalem. He says, first of all, you need to go to Jerusalem, so understand who lived in Jerusalem. Understand that it wasn't the Gentiles that predominantly grew up in Jerusalem. It was the Jews the first. So, yes, there was an advantage at this time to being a Jew because the gospel came to them first. They had the opportunity to hear the gospel first. They had the opportunity to entertain Jesus first. He was born into a Jewish family. He was born into all the Jewish laws and all the things that took place. Jesus was born there. They had an advantage over the, over the Gentiles. They rejected that advantage, but they had the advantage. Think about that for just a moment. They chose to crucify Jesus. They chose with their hands to take the, the, the perfect word of God, the perfect Jesus Christ, no wrong against him. Not one person could say anything wrong against him. And they took him and nailed him to the cross for nothing but for my sins. The Jews did. What advantage does the Jew, Jew have? It does have an advantage. Because the opportunity came to them first. Number two, the oracles of God. Look in verse number two. The Bible says that the oracles of God. What is that? That's the Bible. That's the word of God came to them. You say, when did it come to them? You remember when Moses, you remember when, when, when they got the Ten Commandments? You remember when he came down with the Ten Commandments? It was written, the Bible says, with the finger of God. He came down with the oracles of God. And the Jew got the oracles of God first. They did have an advantage. But Paul says, none of that matters. Because if they have an advantage, no different than anybody else, I believe this with all my heart, that right now, if you live in America, you have an advantage. You say, why? Because you have an advantage to hear the gospel. 
There's hundreds of churches in this area that you could slip in there and they might preach the gospel. You go to other countries and there's not a church in a hundred miles. There is not the gospel presence there. But we have a gospel presence. We have an advantage. Have you taken advantage of your advantage? I feel like sometimes in America we have. We take, eh, it's not that important, it's not that big of a deal, but do you understand that as much as the gospel is not in other countries, there's people that live a block from here, there's people that live a mile from here that don't know Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. We have an advantage, you have an advantage, you're in church this morning. When there's many people who are not here, who cannot be here, don't want to be here, you have an advantage. We must work to reach them, this world, this community. Look, we can't reach the community if we won't tell. How is someone, the Bible says, how, how are they going to hear without a preacher? That's not talking about this guy. That's talking about you. How are they going to hear without somebody telling them? How will they hear the gospel without somebody preaching it to them? Paul says, did they have an advantage? They did. They did have an advantage. So do we. So do we. So let's get into the sermon here. Just a couple of thoughts here. So we see the that verse number one, verse number two, that they do have an advantage. And <clears throat> so point number one today is, has Israel's unbelief canceled God's word? Has Israel's unbelief canceled God's word? In verse number three, the Bible says, for what if some did not believe? Shall their unbelief make the faith of God without an, an effect? So let me ask you this, just because of their unbelief, does that make the word of God zero? Does that make the word of God count for nothing I'm here to tell you whether they believe it or not or whether they get it or not or whether they they want to get it or not it doesn't matter if you believe it or not it's still the truth and the Word of God will always be there the Word of God will always stand true the Bible says in Psalms chapter number 12 the words of the Lord are pure words purified seven times hey that's the Word of God and it will always stand. The grass withereth and the flower fadeth, but the word of God will stand forever. May we understand that whether the world believes it or not, whether they get on board or not, it doesn't matter. The word of God will always stand and be true. It doesn't matter whether the Jews got it or not. It didn't matter if the Jews believed it or not. The word of God is still true. I heard a statement said, if God says it, I believe it, that settles it. But I'm here to tell you, if God says it, that ought to settle it, whether you believe it or not. The Word of God's true and pure and holy and inherent and infallible and perfect and inspired Word of God. And whether people believe it or not, it's still true. Just because people don't believe in creation the way that God said it doesn't mean that it's not true. And this is what Paul is saying here. Hey, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter one bit if the Jews don't get on board. God's still true. What does he say? The next verse, verse number four. God forbid, let God be true and every man a liar. He said, look at this. He said, every man's a liar, but God is true. 
Don't you doubt what God has done in your life. Don't you doubt what the Word of God says. Why? Because God is true and every man is a liar. That's what the Bible says. <clears throat> I, had a, I had people say, well, how can you believe a book that's put together by men? I said, well, how can you believe a magazine? How can you believe a newspaper? And how can you believe the article you read on the Internet? How can you believe a science book? Because it wasn't written by man. It was written by the holy hand of God. The Bible says the holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. Gave us this word, not man, but God. God forbid, let God be true, and every man a liar. Man, that's my God. So I ask you again, does it matter what they believe? It does not matter. No, no, sir, it doesn't matter what you believe even. <laughs> let God be true. And every man alive. Hmm? I'm thankful. But I'm here to say this, though. I'm thankful that we have a book that we can rely on. Because this world would want to tell you that there's not a book that you can rely on. <clears throat> but we have a perfect word of God. Inspired word of God. Not by accident, but by the pure words of God. Whether you like it or not, whether you agree with it or not, the Bible is always true. And you ought to get you a King James Bible at that. Why? Because that's a perfect word of God that God has given us. Has Israel's unbelief canceled God? No. It hasn't. And then question number two, and we'll be done. You guys are, wow, he's already going to be done. Yeah, but I've got like five subpoints under here, and then we'll get out of here. So. You're not getting out of here so quick. Number two, is God's unrighteousness who takes vengeance? Is God's unrighteousness that takes a vengeance? Look in verse number five. But if our unrighteousness can commend... The righteousness of God, what shall we say? Is God unrighteous who taketh vengeance? I speak as a man. What does he say? God forbid. Because here's the deal. I'll get back up there because i got my notes up there. But God forbid that God has unrighteousness. Because there is no un unrighteousness in God. God hasn't done anything wrong. Again, go back to the first the verse that we just read. If God be true, let, let uh, man, uh, God be true, let every man a liar. There is no unrighteousness with God. And so when it comes to the vengeance that God has, and it's because we have done something against God, not because he's, oh, I'm gunning for you, and there's unrighteousness from God because there is no unrighteousness in God. God is always righteous. God will always be righteous. And God has no sin in him. And I've said this before, and I say it again, but, but you go to the story of, of Jesus when he was on earth. The Satan came and tried to get him to sin. 
understand there was no possible way that Jesus could have sinned. He didn't have a sin nature in him. He could not have done wrong. He could not have had an evil thought. He could not have bowed down to Satan. He couldn't have jumped off the pinnacle of the mountain. He couldn't have done it because it was impossible for him to do that because he has no unrighteousness. And so when God judges me and God judges you, he judges us righteously and without unrighteousness. Because each and every one of us, we have unrighteousness inside of us. We have sin inside of us. And so sometimes we'll make a mistake. Sometimes we'll do something we ought not to do. And we will make judgments based on our own opinion. Oh, I'd never do that. I think you're wrong. You probably do. <clears throat> but God doesn't stand up there and say, well, it's my opinion. No, it's right. It's right. It's right. It's right. So just a couple thoughts under this thought here. God's unrighteousness who takes vengeance, number one, or letter A, is salvation is by pure grace. Because of the righteousness of God, we can have availability to the salvation of God, which is by grace. It's not by anything I can do. It's not by any works that I can do. It's by the blood of Jesus Christ who saved me and gave me the opportunity to. Salvation comes by grace. Number letter B, God gave God can and does save the chiefest of sinners. And anyone that believes. Here's why. is because his righteousness is true. And so the reason he can save the chiefest of sinners is because his righteousness doesn't, doesn't prejudge and say, nope, I can't accept you, and nope, I can't accept you because of the past sins you've done. He says, no, all men will come unto me. Hey, he, he says uh, in 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse number 9, I think it is, he says he's not willing that any should perish, but that all men should come unto repentance. And so there's not one person who has sinned so great that God says, nope, I can't forgive you. The chiefest of sinners. Paul called himself the chiefest of sinners. God forbid that you would think God's unrighteousness would get vengeance. Because salvation is by grace. And God's willing to save the chiefest of sinners. Even me. <coughs> you realize, Brother Chuck, there's nothing in my life that has ever happened Good enough for God to say, yep, I'll accept you. Never. Because it's by his righteousness, not by mine. Amen? See, we see the salvation comes by grace. Salvation, God does not can and does save the chiefest of sinners. And God does hold those that hold the law accountable to live by it. In this verse, he says, God forbid, for how for then how shall they how how shall God judge the world? For if the truth of God hath more abounded through the lie, through my lie unto his glory, why yet am I also judged as a sinner? He says, Why am I judged as a sinner? Because God's righteousness. So listen to this. Whether you're a born-again believer or whether you're a lost person, you're still going to be judged by the holy holiness of God. By the righteousness of God, you're all going to be judged. And I'm going to be judged by God. God, through 
letter D, God through Jesus took the vengeance of the law upon himself. You say, how did he do that? When he came to this earth and he died on the cross, he took my sins, the vengeance that should be against me. Hmm? The vengeance that ought to be against you. And he laid it upon him and became sin for us and became salvation for me and came salvation for you and died for your sins. So the vengeance of God would not be against you. And because of Christ, where would I be without God? Standing in front of me, protecting me from the vengeance of God. Because I've seen it. You read your Old Testament, you'll see it too. The vengeance of God. Just a moment. Kill them. Immediately makes me think of Sodom and Gomorrah. Makes me think of Korah. Makes me think of the, the guys that the, the little the guys that made fun of the old bald-headed preacher man. And God sent bears after him to kill them. Immediately they cursed God. The vengeance of God is true and real. But I'm protected because Jesus Christ took my vengeance for me. In spite of me. In spite of me. One last thought and we'll go home. So we see letter A, salvation is, comes by grace. Letter B, God can, can and does save the chiefest of sinners. <clears throat> letter C, God does, God does hold those that hold the law accountable to live by it. D, God through Jesus took the vengeance of the law upon himself. And then lastly, God gives vengeance for disobedience of the believer. You say God would give me vengeance? God would have vengeance upon me? Yeah, it's called chastisement. You ever got one of those? <clears throat> I remember as a kid, I got plenty of those. And I got away with stuff that I should have got whoopings for. Huh? That I should have got whoopings for, right? If I got a whooping every time I did something wrong, I'd still be getting whoopings. I remember the last whooping I got, I was like 17 years old. My daddy whooped me. You know why? I was being I was being an idiot fighting with my brother and my daddy whooped me but I took it but you say why do you why do you say that because sometimes God you get out of line and God says let me whoop you give you some chastisement as a Christian he'll chastise you you know you're God's child if you've ever gotten a whooping. If you've never got a whooping from God, are you God's child? Or you've always lived perfect? I forgot. I am talking to a perfect crowd today, right? <laughs> the chastisement of God is real. The vengeance of God is real. I am protected because Jesus Christ did take my vengeance. But as a Christian, I must live a certain way 
because if not, I will get chastised. God's word is true. It's a solid foundation. I heard a song. It goes, This blessed old book that I hold in my hand, it's true from beginning to end. It's a solid foundation where I firmly stand. Sin kept me from it, now it keeps me from sin. Well, I thank what it costs just to hold in my hand. What it costs just to hold my hand. I owe a great debt because of the men and women who died to give me that book. It's a blessed old book. Sin will keep you from it. And that book will keep you from sin. God, I love you. I thank you for today. I thank you for 